He once described people's love of horror as, as that feeling of being afraid to put their fingers in the toaster or somehow a secret fascination with the person who got ground up in an industrial blender. I was warped as a child because your first emotion in both humor and horror is this sort of childish delight. It's a very low emotion, but a lot of horror comics in my past and a lot of, uh, of horror movies and uh, that sort of thing. And uh, it did, it, it warped me as a kid. Society gives points you know, for good emotional behavior. So we get points for exercising those emotional muscles that society approves of. Love, friendship, uh, loyalty, uh, humor, that sort of thing. But for every one of those good emotions, we have a dark one as well. We have fear, we have aggressiveness, we have uh, anger. We all have, uh, I suppose, urges that sometimes tend towards sadism, that sort of thing. People say, well, do you have bad dreams? And the answer is no, I give them all to somebody else. You know, somebody should give me a straight shot to the jaw, and I think that would straighten me out. I would maybe stop it, but I can't stop it. It's like, please stop me before I do it again. Somebody who's got problems and fears and phobias, they go to a psychiatrist and it costs them maybe $150 an hour, and they don't even get a full hour, they get 50 minutes. I do it, people pay me. This, this whole image is just totally overblown. I have the heart of a small boy. I keep it in a jar on my desk. Guys, if you want to sweat, I'll try to make you sweat bullets. Like Bruce Springsteen in concert, if you're gonna come, come to rock. I was warped as a child. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you're warned about now on patreon.com forward slash speak all evil. I'm Trent here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hey guys, how's it going? Hello, hello. Hello. This week, a figure who has transcended artistic form to become a living icon of the macabre. I'm going to say the single most synonymous name with horror in the world has to be main zone master of horror Stephen King. Woo! Give him give him a round of applause everybody. <laughs> it's a big night for it's a big night for us to have we did it. a hometown did hero it. on the show. Stephen, welcome. <laughs> welcome. Glad you could join us tonight. This is uh, something that I've looked forward to my entire life. The Stephen King film adaptation is however a genre of its own. We could do a whole separate podcast just about Stephen King film adaptations. I'd love to just go through every single one, but we can only take them two at a time. So oh, I have the list. I have the list. You got, I listen, I'd love to do them all. In case you're curious, I actually, I went to uh, RottenTomatoes.com and wrote down all of Stephen King's adaptations in order of best to worst according to Rotten Tomatoes. That's, I mean, I think we need a spinoff podcast for that. Or I, if this episode gets boring, I can just read that list and really drive it into the ground. Kevin and Dave have agreed to curate tonight's episode. They've each chosen a Stephen King film adaptation. We're going to start with Dave tonight. Dave, what do you got for us? It was so hard to pick this week, and I originally picked The Mist. And, of course, last week, me and Trent had a bit of a confrontation over movie picks, and he was all over me. He was like, oh, he picked The Mist. You know, it's kind of a commercially uh, polished movie. 
not my usual fare, but I did like the I did like the mist, but he bullied me right <laughs> cool. back like I did him. Cool. Just he bullied me and uh, into submission. <laughs> but I decided, you know, I wasn't just gonna roll over and take this kind of thing. So I was like, you know what? Fuck Trent. I'm gonna pick something that's not even Stephen King. I'm gonna go with something totally left field. Fuck him and his Stephen King high horse. I'm picking a story by Richard Bachman. <laughs> and I picked the movie Thinner, uh, directed by Tom Holland, starring Robert John Burke. And secondly, I'm going to say, also starring Joe Montaigne, who isn't listed high when you look at the cast of the movie. He's kind of in there like he's some sort of unconsequential act- actor or, or character in this. But he was my favorite part of this whole movie. I would describe Thinner as a supernatural gangster movie based around gluttony and karma. It's set in down east Maine, um, and there's a lot of familiar places to us uh, in Belfast and in Camden where they film this, so it's really cool to see, you know, a street that you've walked down before. It kind of like puts you right there. Um, So this big fat guy, really, really fat guy, um, and he's just gross. Everything he does is just like, ah, ha, ha, and he's just always stuffing his face with food, and he's got a beautiful family, and they're so nice to him, and they're so accepting, but they want him to be healthy, you know, and everyone's after him. You got to go on a diet. You got to lose some weight. You got to be healthy, and he's having a hard time with it. So basically, he hits a gypsy woman at night when he's driving his car, romancing while driving, which I do not um, recommend. And also, when we talk about Misery Lane, I'd like to talk about, uh, I was actually in a car accident two days ago. I would say my first real car accident ever. Uh, Flipped over, uh, all the airbags went off, and uh, the car was totaled. I was hoping that my number one fan would come to my rescue, but they didn't. (laughs) (laughs) But... No gypsies were harmed in that accident, uh, but in Thinner, he hits a gypsy and then uses his, he's a lawyer and he's kind of all connected with all these people in the town and the police and the judge. Uh, so he uses his leverage to get out of, you know, a manslaughter charge or something like that. Um, and he basically just... I don't know. He finagles his way out of it, and therefore he gets cursed. It reminded me of uh, one of my favorite movies is Drag Me to Hell. So the, the gypsies in this, um, I had found out that gypsies don't identify themselves with any territory, uh, but they originated in, uh, in India, and they're like Indo-Aryan, and they're called Romani. And, the, and these gypsies in this movie uh, refer to themselves as Romani, and they speak Romani. So this curse, basically, it reminded me of cannibalism because the more he eats, he just keeps losing weight. So at first, it's like a dream come true. And then like with anything, too much of a good thing uh, or too good to be true, he just starts shrinking down to nothing. And he's spending the whole movie trying to track down these gypsies and get this curse reversed so that uh, he can lead a normal life. It's very much a gangster movie. It's very silly. It's very over the top. Um, 
I, I call it a gangster movie just because it kind of revels in that uh, excess and uh, and the, the karma versus like political leverage. So I, I like Thinner. Uh, what did you guys think? I absolutely love this. And I, I really have to uh, take my hat off to you for this pick, even though I know that it is it was a troll, I'm sure. Because I was giving you such a hard time about The Mist, which had nothing to do with Offspring. It just, sure. I hated The Mist that much. It wasn't like a revenge. Please don't take your it head off. A, don't take it your, wasn't head off. A, your head looks better covered. <laughs> it wasn't a revenge scenario. But Dave came back with like, oh, okay, uh, I pick thinner. And I was like, okay, good one. It's tremendous. In more ways than one. I hadn't seen this in a long time. I think it was like 96. Kevin will correct us all when we get there. But this is an underappreciated Stephen King adaptation. Nobody ever says thinner, like, oh, when you're talking about Stephen King movies. Uh, From now on, I am committed to spreading the gospel of the thinner film. It is unabashedly trashy, greasy, it's just disgusting in more in, in on every level. You know, it reminded me a lot of it's a long form creep show episode like this. If you took a story out of a creep show and you just extended it to feature length, that's thinner. And man, I, I love it. Forget the prestige stuff. Forget all the big name directors that have been t- uh, attached to Stephen King. Forget the CGI. Forget all of that. And do yourself a favor. It's only like two ninety nine on the rental platforms. You can see this for practically nothing. I recommend Thinder. Uh, great time. Great movie. Did you say you recommend Thinder? Yeah, it sounded like you said Tinder. <laughs> it's like the new, <laughs> let me, let me do that again. The new horror uh, dating app, Thinder. <laughs> Thinder. All right, so before I give... I I recommend Thinner. Well, hold on a minute then. Let me fix it. I recommend Thinner. Okay. Oh, (laughs) wow. So before I give my take on Thinner, I am curious. If each of us was cursed by a gypsy, what do you think the thing that they would do to us would be? Like, what is your thing? They they would do to me what happens in the movie Thinner. Do you understand that? I would be the guy in Thinner. They would make me masturbate to death. <laughs> what? I thought we weren't talking about swallowing semen anymore. I wasn't cat. <laughs> he always masturbates upside down, like a bat. I don't know. <laughs> I've never seen a bat masturbate. I'm so sorry I asked the question. <laughs> what about you, Kevin? I don't know. Let me think on huh? it. Maybe that'll be my hot take at the end of the episode. You guys oh. are right. This was 1996, directed by Tom Holland. Who, I didn't realize, I never knew who directed this movie. I'd seen it back when it came out. But this guy wrote Psycho 2. He directed the original Child's Play, which I had no idea. He This is not his first Stephen King foray. He turned The Langoliers, which was uh, a novella of King's, into a film, which is a cool premise. The movie wasn't done all that great. but uh, And this motherfucker wrote and directed Fright Night. I had no idea. So I think I right. think the reason that this works so well, like you guys are talking about, you know, describing it as trashy. It, it came out at a time that we on this show have heavily criticized horror. And I think it makes sense that what Tom Holland did is he took some of these 80s movies that we love and sort of mixed it with just the right amount of that mid to late 90s horror that was happening at the time. And somehow it worked. 
this movie was always walking a tightrope for me when I rewatched it, where I was like, it could literally fall off the rails at any moment, and somehow it doesn't. And the fat suit that Robert John Burke wears, is it's like, it's barely acceptable. But it is. And, I mean, it, it's not quite as good as Ryan Reynolds in Just Friends, but it was a decent fat suit. And he didn't sing I Swear, so he loses some points there. But, look, I, I really liked this movie. I think that the ending is awesome. I fucking love the ending. And I love the fact that you're wondering uh, who, if everybody ate the pie at the ending, or if somebody is going to walk away from this disaster with, you know, just totally insane. Um, I, I like the gypsy aspect. It's funny you mentioned Drag Me to Hell, Dave, because that is another superior sort of gypsy curse movie, but they do have a lot in common with each other. And I just, I don't know, I should hate this movie. I should hate the fact that Burke's performance is so slapstick and he talks in this like Christian Bale Batman voice the whole fucking movie that I should hate, <laughs> but I fucking loved it. Uh, it's, a, it's a good horror movie. Joe Mantegna is so over the top as this gangster guy. And when it gets to that section of the movie, I was just waiting to be like, hey, this is so out of control. Like you said, Dave, how does this guy keep finding people? And just everywhere he goes, he's got the guns and the resources. But I don't care. This is why. This, Daddy of the week. This is why. Eh. Joe Montana. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I, 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 would I have a different I mean, daddy of go- the week. I have a different daddy oh. of the week. Uh, any, it will anyway, be revealed th- next next movie. Th- this well, before we hear uh, for, hear Cast take on this, I just want to say this movie is not one of the better Stephen King adaptations, but this movie is why I'm a horror fan. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, Dave, <laughs> I appreciate yes. you as a friend. I appreciate you as a a coworker on this podcast. I hated everything about this stupid movie. <laughs> Had you seen it before? <laughs> I have never seen it before. I This could have been a Twilight Zone episode, a fucking X-Files episode, and it would have been fine. Yes. You don't need this to be a 90-minute movie. I looked it up because I was like, this must have been a Steve, like a Stephen King short, you know, short story. No, it was a whole novel. But for some reason, it still could have been done in... 25 to 45 minutes uh it's just it's 90 minutes of fat jokes and like body shaming but like 90s body shaming which is a different breed i guess it's like in the same vein as 80s uh there are no likable characters in this movie maybe the daughter the daughter didn't do anything wrong she was kind of cool she was on one tree hill eventually and she did a great job i can't remember her name but i'm sure it was something that sounded white um, even, st- uh, I, I guess I would rather watch 13 ghosts a thousand times than ever wow. have this movie be seen by my eyeballs ever again. Wow. And wow. I, and I'm saying it and I'm saying it right now. Matthew wow. Lillard just- could come move in with me Lillard. and just recite, sorry, Matthew Lillard <laughs> could move in with me and just recite his lines for 13 ghosts for the rest of my days. And I would rather have that happen than ever have to watch this movie ever again. Also, I'm Damn. not sure I'd like to, I don't think we should be saying the word gypsy at all. 
I'm pretty sure that's a, a slur of some kind towards Well, that's what they're called in the movie. I know, but I just feel weird saying it now. Yeah, it is. It's, What's the alternative? You know? What's the alternative? Uh, I'm not. I'm not. People? I'm not challenging. I I'm legitimately curious. It's got Romanian people, people of the Romania. Word, uh, people thought think... they were from Egypt, so that's why they got the term gypsy. That's where the origin of the word comes from. But it became a derogatory thing uh, as they yeah. treated these people horribly. That's what it I'm wasn't saying. Like, yeah. So it was they originally can say just it, kind yeah. of like it's like Native Americans. Uh, they're not from India. These yes. guys are actually from India. Sure. I just <laughs> but, wanted to bring it up because I, you know, I, that was like a recently w- learned word for me that I'm not allowed to say kind of situation. You know, like you can't. I thought you it just would learned be, it. Hmm? I thought it would be you a just, good uh, movie to watch because of that. Also, uh, because of the fat shaming, uh, and and I, you know, because it's. It's he's Richard Bachman. He's not going to get canceled. Yeah, he's off the rails as Richard Bachman. I should do that. I should do that. I should make an alter ego every time I go out drinking. I'm somebody else. Drinking. I just pin it on them. (laughs) But you know, there's a whole bunch. This is definitely not the best Stephen King movie. Uh, I think that like The Shining is, or maybe Carrie. Uh, But he does so many different types of movies. And after the one that Kevin picked. I wanted to pick something that was some of his silly stuff. Yes. So I feel like he has like fantasy action, uh, horror. He has like folklore, macabre, real realism. And then he has this like really goofy, zany, like sense of humor that I thought would be good when we talk about Stephen King for that. But it is fucked up. You know, the, the whole curse thing is fucked up. Like, they dehumanize them by making them mystical, you know, but not in like a high regard. Uh, like Jesus is legit, but medicine men, <laughs> herbalists and shaman are like heretic, crazy people, you know. Yeah. So I, I agree with that. And uh, I don't think it's the best movie. I, I do think it's a fun movie to watch as a horror fan, uh, as a fan of someone that wants to be offended. And I appreciate the pick. I'm not saying it shouldn't have been a pick at all. I think it's important to show that Stephen King movies can, al- oh, sorry, Richard Bachman movies can also go off the rails. <laughs> They're not all going to be The Shining. Right. As a person of uh, a person of density myself, I didn't. I didn't really find like I was waiting for more shaming and like fat jokes. I I didn't really get the. Um, I didn't really see any humor that was at the expense of being a person of density it just seemed like he was you know he was trying to lose weight because of the health reasons and his wife was very supportive like nobody was calling him like lard ass or anything like that uh, it was just like you know he was trying to slim down he was on a diet he's drinking the shakes you know a very relatable type of thing and then when he found out that then he found out he could eat all he wanted and still lose weight then you know that then it became like a reflection of his character of him as a person that he he was a a gluttonous type of person not at the expense of his physical density i thought the one thing i like about this that we haven't uh really dug into is the the white man power you guys were you guys were kind of heading there with the debate but the fact that 
our, our, our main character, Billy Halleck, played by Robert John Burke, he is a lawyer. And he is a defense lawyer who gets Joe Mantegna's character off doing some shady shit. But when he hits then you see the white power, or the old white man power converge. And the judge is in on it. The cops are in on it. You know, even Stephen King and his great cameo as the pharmacist is in on it. And they basically. Yeah, Dr. Bangor. They, they basically let this guy off. And. I've been listening to like a lot of uh, wrongful conviction podcasts lately. Just uh, throw that out there. So sorry. No, but it was a perfect time to watch this movie and to, you know, sort of see in a much more slapstick way uh, or non-serious way. But just to watch like they do it in this movie in a very not like super serious way. But that shit's real, man. That shit really happens. And I thought it was very interesting. And it was definitely a part of... Uh, the the racial or or ethnicity part of it, where these powerful white men were just super willing to be like, we don't care about this group of people that are passing through our town. We care about our homie, and we're going to get him off, and then we're going to go have dinner, and we're all good. But I mean, really, like, who walks away from this movie thinking that the main character is a good guy, or any of those people are good guys, I mean, you guys often, we watch movies and you're like, oh man, that's a piece of crap. I can't believe you like that movie. That horrible person was doing that horrible thing. But most of the time, it's like they're shining a light on rich white douchebags that use their power over minorities. And that's something that we've been trying to drive home for a long time. And and I thought for, you know, 96, I mean, that's... There wasn't a lot of that. He gets his retribution. So there's like evil characters that are being shown doing the wrong things and they get their comeuppance in the end. Sure do. Not to spoil, not to spoil <laughs> thinner for you, but there is can. a comeuppance. And speaking of Stephen, you mentioned the Stephen King cameo. I think that this is the best Stephen King cameo. As the pharmacist in this movie, he is perfect weirdo small town pharmacist, and he has a pretty meaty, so to speak, role in this one. Like it's not just a quick, you know, a quick cut. He's really in there. Well, so I really appreciate it. Well, that. everybody involved in the in the courtroom. So we we should clarify that it's not just Billy Halleck that gets a curse placed on him. It's everybody involved with the cover up of the crime. And I was always curious, everybody in that courtroom was cursed in, in different ways. It wasn't just, uh, you know, the world's greatest weight loss program. But Stephen King, how does Stephen King not get, uh, you know, lumped into this curse thing? That would have been fucking awesome. He, like like you said, he could have looked like the guy from Creep Show. Why would he? He was the pharmacist. Why would he be cursed? Because he was on the stand. His, he said that she went running out of the store and she did oh, not go running out oh, of the I store. See. He lied. Right, right. Okay, right. That's true. I forgot about that. Right. My personal mommy of the week would have to be Kari Wurr because I had a huge crush on her. Uh, she was on MTV, this game show called Remote Control, and she always did like the spring break things. Hell yeah. Uh, like right in Hell my yeah. my pubescent prime. And she <laughs> sure. meant a lot to me. Um, 
Same, same. Kyle and all those Orr, feelings came control. rushing back when I watched this again. I would, I would challenge like that. Ca- I would challenge that Kathy Bates is definitely mommy of the week. Yeah, that's tough. That's mommy tough. in different yeah. ways. Got to be Kari you know? I guess just circling back a little bit, it wasn't. I think the things that bothered me the most when it was like fat shaming, quote unquote, it was when he was starting to like lose that weight, and so then every single time, like that, what was that line? It was like. Oh, you finally found a diet that works, you know, over and over and over again, every person that he had interacted with. And I'm like, I've, I've like in that zone right now. And it just like sucks when it's like around every quarter. It's someone being like, oh, it's like fucking, you know, my landlord. Oh, did you lose weight? I'm like, yeah, Jody, I did. That's, you don't have to talk to me about it anymore. You know, (laughs) like. I think that's a that's a good public service announcement. You, you don't have to comment. Like if somebody, if you think that they've lost weight, first of all, you don't know if they've been sick. Yeah. You don't have to comment on weight loss or gain. You can just no. not. You can just shut your fucking mouth. You can just not just say anything about and you can just business, go on. Maybe, maybe they will. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to. Have you ever heard a recording of you talking uh, about something uh, and you're just like, oh, my God, like I sound terrible. That's what I like. If you don't know, you're being recorded. Mm-hmm. I feel like if people that do these things and say these things see characters in a movie like Thinner pl- saying the same shit that they say, like, oh, how, what's your secret to your new diet or lost a few pounds? <laughs> you know, like yeah. if, they, if there was that, that if they're that kind of person and they're watching this, they're like, oh, shit, like that's me. I'm that horrible character. Maybe I should stop doing that. No, it's probably validating it for them. What what I would say <laughs> is before you comment on something, think about whether you would comment on the opposite. So if if you Ooh. would walk up to somebody and say, hey, man, looks like you put on a shit ton of weight. Well, then don't do the opposite because that's you a, wouldn't walk up nice. to somebody and be like, yo, you got fat. But you would walk up to somebody and be like, hey, have you lost weight? They both kind of cut in the same way. So mm-hmm. before you comment on somebody's appearance or mannerisms, ask yourself if you would comment on the opposite of what they're doing or what they look like. Caitlin is very skinny and she gets all the time. People are like, eat a cheeseburger. Yeah. And, you know, she, <laughs> it's yes. and she's like, I just ate I just ate three cheeseburgers. Yeah. But it, you wouldn't do that the other way. You wouldn't be like don't eat that cheeseburger. Yeah, stop eating yeah. cheeseburgers. It's an overweight person. Like it's just Don't eat the, that cheeseburger. It's just the way that we've been conditioned, you know, and I'm not going to... I feel like I talked about this a lot the, in the body blaming episode. Throwback. So far away. It's been a long time. So long. Always good to re-up. Uh, but it's, it's like everyone's just so conditioned that thin is good. You know, it doesn't matter. So they can say whatever they want as long... Because you're thin, you know, kind of situation. It just... I think moral of the story is, is that I just hate everyone. But I hate this film more than everyone. <laughs> you know, so Dave, Would, you mentioned uh, Drag Me to Hell. If I can just throw in one more, uh, what I think is interesting. Sam Raimi is a favorite of yours, and he did the Drag Me to Hell movie. So this movie was actually originally set to be produced by Dino De Laurentiis who we would know yes. as producing Serpico, Death Wish, uh, 75's King Kong, Halloween 2 and 3, Firestarter, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, Hannibal Red Dragon. And he had tapped Sam Raimi to direct this movie. But they were too deep into Evil Dead 2 to be able to properly commit to Thinner, which is how it landed in Tom Holland's hands. So we could have had 
a Richard Bachman slash Stephen King, Sam Raimi directed version of this movie, which I would have loved to have seen. Well, you have you have dragged me to hell instead. Exactly, same deal. <laughs> it's very it's very much like the same story, or it's it's it sounds like it seems like a Stephen King tale. The drag me the hell. I down. feel like it was yeah. I feel like people like Sam Raimi had never forgotten about it, and so he just decided to sort of do his own version of Thinner years later. Did, did, Raimi, oh, did we know? If, do we know if Raimi wrote Drag Me to Hell? I don't know. Good yeah, question. Know. With Stephen King, a lot of the silly stuff is actually to me the most uh, conscious because there's always this cautionary tale. I feel like he always has a, like, almost everything with him is a morality tale, so much so that sometimes, like, it's a little bit annoying to me. Sometimes <laughs> I, it's like, it gets, not just that in the way that he gets a little bit ham-fisted sometimes. Like, I get it. That was one of my problems with The Mist was like, yeah, I, I, I get it. Okay, I know. Break, there's no authority. There's a breakdown, and people are turning to fundamentalism and violence. Okay, like, I understand you know, this little after-school special, but, you know, then and then there's times where he does it well. So I, th I think there's always a strong moral core to Stephen King's work uh, across the board. What The Mist and Thinner do have in common is it's like all, like, TV actors. It's like everyone is from an episode of... Right, yes. CSI or... or <laughs> yeah. Criminal, Criminal Minds, Minds or something. dude. But both movies have that. There's like some people from The Walking Dead uh, in uh, The Mist. Well, yeah, I mean, it was Frank Darabont who started right. The Walking Dead and also did, you know, some pretty classic King. But I still stand by The Mist. I like The Mist, uh, but I decided to go with a silly comedy uh, I'm glad you did. Parody. I'm glad you did. And by the way, Drag Me to Hell was written by Sam Raimi and his brother Ivan. So the second Stephen King movie of the week was Misery. This is a 1990 film directed by Rob Reiner, which, believe it or not, I never knew this movie was directed by Rob Reiner because Rob Reiner is known for doing things like Spinal Tap, When Harry Met Sally, The Princess Bride, A Few Good Men, and also another great King adaptation, Stand By Me, which for me has to be up in the most watched films of my entire life. So this one has James Kahn as Paul Sheldon, who is an author, and he is finishing his new book just as his last book is about to be published. And his last book is a continuation of a series that he has done of a character that the country has embraced, and her name is Misery Chastain. While he's coming back from finishing this book, he gets into a terrible car accident, happens to be discovered by his biggest fan, who is a nurse, and takes him back to her house to, quote, unquote, nurse him back to health. That nurse is played by none other than Kathy Bates in her first major role. And Kathy Bates, speaking of horror at the Oscar, 
won the Academy Award for Best Actress for this movie. I love this movie. I love Kathy Bates. I think that James Caan does a great job. What did you guys think? James Caan. Just say James Caan. I don't pronounce anything right, okay? So just, I mean, I'm immune to this at this point. Thank God for this movie this week. Because I was, after Thinner, I was like, I need a really good one. And thank God it was Misery. It's just so good. Like, Kathy Bates, I feel like we're just going to be talking about Kathy Bates for the whole episode. She is just so good. She starts off so sweet. And you're like, if I didn't know what this movie was about, I'd think you were just totally cool. And it's just like the little parts when she starts to unravel. Like, when you start to see, like, the first, like, thing that she did was um, when he starts to, like, realize that maybe he's kind of in a fucked up situation is when she, like, starts freaking about, freaking out about how he uses, like, profanity and, like, she starts, like, like, spills, like, the soup she's feeding him and you kind of see, like, in his eyes, he's like, oh, oh, shit, what am I, like, I thought I was just being saved by this woman, but I might be in a very serious situation it's, like, just spooky enough, but also, like, relatable somehow, because you're, like, what would you do in this situation? Like, what if you were James Khan and you're, like, trying to be nice to Can. this person because you don't want to, you don't want to be stuck there, but you also don't want to get murdered, like, once you realize the situation you're in. But, yeah, I also, so my daddy of the week would obviously bust, would be Buster, uh, the sheriff. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. He's Richard the Farnsworth. daddy of the week. Yes. I want him to be my grandpa in a not sexy way, I will say. Uh, or a sexy way. I mean, I like that was a nice like little mustache like situation he had going on. Um <laughs> but I was also wondering, I guess we could get to this later, but if you guys want to start thinking about it, if you guys have ever had any misery moments, I'd love to hear about them. Well, my chance uh for a misery moment was the car crash the other day and I would have loved for someone to just like scoop me up and like hold me up in some studio that they made in their house and make me record an album for a month. Like that's a that's a dream for a starving artist. This guy was just kind of ungrateful, I think. Um, <laughs> no, I you know, I love Misery. I've always loved Misery. It's uh, a beautifully executed minimalist movie and story and uh, you know, from like a, a writer's sp- standpoint, there are scenarios that you imagine and you make up something, you know, intangible and disconnected from your own experience. And then there uh, are horrors that are autobiographical. So I like that, you know, Stephen King is writing about a situation that is a worst case scenario from his own perspective. Like these types of stories kind of convey the fear of what scares Stephen King. Like this is something that might happen to him. So I, I really like that, that dynamic of it. And I loved how simple it was. And I think it was simple because of that unique perspective that he had on this type of horror. Uh, I also thought it was very woke. Um, unlike the last one, uh, they mentioned climate change in 1990. Yeah. They're talking about the ozone layer. Uh, Eddie, Eddie Wilkes, uh, was doing what Donald Trump is accusing J- Joe Biden of is like killing the babies right when they come out of the mom. Uh, she was doing that. His typewriter could not type any. It didn't have an N. So you got no N words. Wow. Very progressive. So this, very progressive film. This movie was very progressive in a lot of ways like that. And, you know, I can't even 
I don't even feel like I need to talk about Kathy Bates' performance, um, but everyone's performance in this was great. And there was only like five people in the whole movie. Well, I have a long personal relationship with Misery. I've long considered this to be one of the very best Stephen King adaptations ever. I first saw this movie when I was 19 years old, and I watched it, I'm going to say, roughly estimating tens of times, because I was living in Eustis County, Maine, in the middle of nowhere, and there's no TV, there was like one classic rock radio station, and there was a little video store, like in the front of someone's house or something in the middle of nowhere, and we rented Misery one night, my roommate rented it. Watched it, blown away, thought, this is the one. This is better than any of the Stephen King movies. And my roommate kept it for some reason, uh, just laziness, just never brought it back. So we would watch it like night after night. It just became like a show to us. It was either listening to music or or watching Misery. And eventually the sheriff came one day uh, in person on duty to get the movie back, you know, offered Nuh-uh. my, offered my, yeah, yeah. Oh, in, that used to happen. In Absolutely full regalia. Not. Knocked on the door. My roommate gets up. It's like a couple of futons and a bunch of beer cans, like total dump. My roommate gets up. He has no shirt on, opens the door, just like uh, Maine County Cops episode. And the sheriff gave him the option of either I can give you a ride to the video store right now and back and you can return the movie or I can arrest you. That used to happen to me all the time at my parents' house. That's a Are real thing. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, for you'd real? return a movie for like months. Come get you. The police would come to your house. Eventually, they have no other recourse. Like, we got to get they this movie back. They can't just charge you for the movie and then buy no, a new movie? It didn't, it didn't work like no, that. No, it was back, cash. Back, they had this to send a, a covered wagon. Exchange. To, that seems, <laughs> that's very stressful. <laughs> I'm glad we are not living that way anymore. Kat, you asked about a uh, an Annie Wilkes fan moment, and yes, I would please. just say that this is the first time, probably since those days, that I've watched this. So this is the first time I was able to see it from any kind of personal life experience, because I wouldn't say I've ever dealt with a, an obsessed fan, but I have dealt with some obsessed people. And it struck me right from the first scene where the um, Sheldon, Paul Sheldon character is talking to his agent and he refers to the character of Misery in his books like a real person. He's like, I can't wait to get away from her or something like that. Can't wait to have her out of my life. And I realized that, you know, this movie in some sense, you don't have to be an author to understand or have super fans. You can have just a super needy, uh, obsessed person who you've got to get away from. But again, if you, if like you were saying, if you're too mean, they can try to do things back to you and hurt you in ways. So you have to be very careful. You're dealing with someone like Annie Wilkes, which I have dealt with personally. It is a very uncomfortable situation. So I can relate to this movie even more now. Top three Stephen King adaptations all time. The whole time that this uh, book, I mean, this book came out in 1987 and Thinner that we just talked about came out in 1984. And King was actually writing this book under the moniker of Richard Bachman like he did with Thinner. Because what King was doing is this was in Stephen King's absolute insane phase where he was pumping out so much material that he and his publisher were worried about oversaturation. That's why he created the Richard Bachman um, pseudonym. And he was crippled with substance abuse. 
So years later, after claiming that this was merely an exaggeration, like you guys are talking about, of his fears of his biggest fans and, you know, how relatable it is, he admitted that this book was really about his substance abuse problems and that Annie Wilkes is actually the representation of his illness, keeping him, quote unquote, in bed. Wow. So, and if, and one thing they left out of the movie is Paul Sheldon in the book actually has a lot of a lot more substance abuse issues. So Trent, like you said, you can view it from that lens, from a needy thing. Dave, like you said, you can view it from a, a person of accomplishment that you run into your biggest fan and all of a sudden they're super obsessed with you. And now they have you in, in the house and you can't get out. But it's actually a big Stephen King therapy session of trying to shed himself of his own substance abuse problems. I always wow. get jealous when I, when I read about and hear about Stephen King's drug days. Like he had it made and he just would crank out. All, all he did is get up, like do some Coke, smoke some weed, smoke, you know, I think he smoked butts uh, and then just write like a madman all day. And I start drinking beer and write some more, do some more Coke, drink some more beer. And that's just all he it's did every day. Yeah, and put yeah. out books and make millions of dollars. It was like my quarantine, minus the books and the millions of dollars. I'm drooling. Yeah. <laughs> my <laughs> mouth is watering. It must have been so hard to that give that like up. a great life. Yeah, imagine giving that up. Stephen King wouldn't actually sell the rights to this book, but he was so impressed with Rob Reiner's take on Stand By Me that he sold the rights to this book. But again, and we've talked about King in the past and some of the fucked up things he's done, like selling, what, the rights to carry for like 2500 bucks. Uh, he put a clause in his rights selling of this that the only way he would sell the rights to this book is if Rob Reiner either produced it or and or directed it. Yeah, you already had the proven commodity. I feel like when you think about why people have made so many bad Stephen King adaptations, it's tempting to look for an excuse. And at one point I was thinking, well, if you look at the good ones, the huge hits and the enduring classics like Stand By Me, like Misery, like Shawshank Redemption, they're less fantastical. They're people that have focused on the smaller, simpler, more human stories and not so much on dead cats coming back to life and stuff like that, that's kind of hard to take out of the Stephen King written universe and put that on a screen without just being ridiculous. I think that's really difficult. But then again, I look at the first one, Carrie, maybe still the best one. Brian De Palma had no problem with it. So I don't, you know, I don't know why there are so many bad Stephen King movies. I guess I would just probably think that he's so popular and so many people have tried that just by virtue of, of numbers, they're they're just not all going to be great. Um, this one you can only rent right now on Fandango and Redbox online. Um, it's also pretty cheap to just buy outright on Amazon for like six bucks, which I happily did so that I can just have that in my library. There was a time when all of these lines from this movie were kind of iconic 
the cock-a-duty car and, you know, sort of some of the funnier colloquialisms of Kathy Bates. It really entered into this sort of early 90s uh, cultural lexicon more than than you would uh, remember now being 2020. I like how uh, the swears kind of dictated how angry she was because she was very against swearing. So she would say the cock duty and the dirty bird and all that stuff. But then when she actually swore, you were like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, she means business. <laughs> there is one aspect that I would like to talk about uh, concerning the casting. And again, we're, we're going to have to go back to 90s mindset. But the role of Paul Sheldon, if you're to believe it, because there's eight thousand different articles that claim one thing or another but the fact that James Kahn got this role uh, apparently is amazing because it was offered allegedly to William Hurt to Kevin Klein Michael Douglas Harrison Ford Dustin Hoffman De Niro Pacino Dreyfus Gene Hackman Robert Redford you name it and none of them wanted to take it because it was a very obvious script where the Kathy Bates character of Annie Wilkes was the star. And these actors did not want to be in a film where they would be overshadowed by a up-and-coming female actress. I could see the pitch like, oh, man, I, so there's a part, you know, Rob Reiner's doing this uh, Stephen King book, Misery. Oh, really? yeah, what, what's the part? Uh, well, you're just, you're in bed. Oh, so I started, now you're just in bed the whole time. What do you mean the whole time? You, you don't get out of bed. You're just laying in the bed, and Kathy Bates goes crazy. Oh, and then I, yeah, and then you, but she breaks your legs though. You can't get out of the bed. You're just in the bed the whole time. And they're like, ah. Oh, you know, I think it's actually a similar role. Uh, the dynamic of Kathy Bates still in that show was that was James Caan early in his career in The Godfather. Yeah, uh, I felt like he was against all these super actors. You know, Marlon Brando, Al Pacino. Uh, it's considered one of the best movies of all time, and he was pretty much a newbie at that point uh so it was cool that he let her shine uh, because she definitely shines and i think as a good actor it shouldn't be a tug of war it should be whatever is best for the movie she's very believable she seems almost like someone you know i mean she really embodies the role so completely that she's even like even though uh <laughs> she's really scary and everything uh she's so realistic in her portrayal that Sometimes it's almost like, oh, she's looking good today. You know, there's a couple scenes where you know, she's <laughs> bubbly, she's really happy, and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, hey. Ooh. I mean, you're in bed anyway, you know. Oh. But, uh, you don't want to get deeper with, uh, you with know, a case like this. I never read the book, but Kevin, you read the book, right? Yes. Uh, is the book any sexier? Because I was surprised <laughs> that... No, I'm serious. I'm surprised that she was so in love with him, and she had him at her... You know, yeah. he was very vulnerable. Yeah. No, absolutely not. There is no sexy time with Annie Wilkes. Um, That's too bad. Zero percent. Um, there's, you know, we don't have to worry about uh, anything like that with good old Annie. Now, Trent, uh, you're single. You're, you're the only single uh, member on the, the show. That's right, and I try. Uh, unless I try you to have, unless you have one of those guys who has a secret girlfriend. Some people yeah, have now, secret now, girlfriends, you, boyfriends. No, that's nope. Swinging so single, baby. Ladies, your, it's me. Just in me. your dating <laughs> experience, you go home with a girl. Uh, uh, you go home with a woman, and you get to her house, and she starts putting on her Liberace records. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? What's gonna happen? 
Well, what's see, about to go down? Probably at that point, if you're by the time you're at the home, it's a little too late to back out. There, there are times when there's a threshold where it becomes easier, even if you change your mind internally, emotionally, or physically. There's a point at which it's easier to just plow through <laughs> and and come out the other side because you come out the other side of it with less damage if you just. Now go through with it, and you get out of there in the morning, whatever. Hopefully, you get out of there. It takes this guy two months to start batting his eyelashes at this lady. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what ultimately saved him. Is he's tried to like seduce her. I would have been there as soon as she put on those Liberace records. I would have been all right. Well, you got. Let's you get gotta, this over with. I gotta go home. You got to remember that, sh- that she's drugging him the entire time. Oh, the whole time. True. Has anyone else watched the Hulu show Castle Rock? No. I started watching it, and I was like... The, 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 the first season is difficult to get through. The second season has Lizzie Kaplan starring as a young Annie Wilkes. It gives us a full Annie Wilkes backstory. Shh. And Lizzie Kaplan is unbelievable <gasps> as I Annie Wilkes. I didn't know that. Oh so if you God. want to know a little bit... We were just talking bit, about how we hate that. What's that? How someone just like extracts a character and makes up their own story like it's their character. Yeah, but this wasn't like thirty years no. ago. This is like it just happened. I, it I, I like, do hate that. That's I, even worse. Yeah, I, I don't like that when people do that. But like, yeah, did Stephen King write this the story of nope. Andy Wilkes as a baby? No, nope. some of other it, guy maybe? did. Some guy, I don't know, some guy Jimmy Wilkes wrote it. Who cares? Yeah, they're just kind of riding on his coattails and taking his story Richard and making up some Bachman. new story. Yeah, I wrote, you know what? I'm going to do an origin story of Paul Sheldon. Here you go. That's Here it a great is. Idea. Paul Sheldon. Why don't Here you do that? That's a good idea. I would just try to start a conversation uh, about that. You know, that that stuff's done. Some people are betrayed by it, and other people are fine with it. Uh, I just just seeing where where are you at on that, Kevin? Kevin, you like you like when people make up a backstory. I think a little bit more than than me. Uh, it depends. Um, if it's done well, I think it depends on the character. Like I would like, I mean, you know, Dave just asked if, you know, there was any sexy time or anything. I think that a very important part of understanding Annie Wilkes is understanding her backstory and why there might not be some sexy time. Oh, if you're, if you're talking about a, a less fleshed out character, like a Michael Myers or something, I don't necessarily need an in-depth backstory. Part of his mystique is his mystique. So it's, it's a case by case basis, but Someone like Annie Wilkes, fuck any Stephen King character. Let's put it that way. Any King character, you're going to you're going to want to delve in because he crafts such great characters. You could say it's a Bates by Bates cases. Yeah. I I would never say that. No. 